Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tea at Tea. I'm here with my BFF, Reese. Hi, Reese. Hi, Teresa. Hi, everybody. Excited about digging into another one of our topics that has inspired us over our last week or two. And, and it's good that you're comfortable. I'm also comfortable. I'm wrapped in a blanket because we're going to talk about shame, which can be a very uncomfortable topic to discuss. It's an, mm-hmm. It can be an uncomfortable topic to look inward and do the inner work. And it really did come from us having a conversation with the brilliant, wonderful Sarah Elkins. I had been for a run that morning. We had a conversation with Sarah and I was thinking about her work around how we write our stories and how our sharing of our stories is so important in helping people to get to know who we are, but maybe even more so get to know how we've become. And shame has been one of those things for me that in my inner work is really helping me to recognize how I've become who I am compared to maybe trying to go back. Like, who was I before all of these things happened? When I was born, what what was I actually like and who was I meant to be? And then the world sort of happened, quote unquote, to me. And then I became this. And then I started to peel off the layers of whatever the world shoved upon me. And I'm trying to find myself again. So I was relating my experience with shame as articles of clothing that when I was younger, those that were closest to me would offer me an article of shame clothing, a dress, a tank top, a lipstick tube. In their communication, they would say, hey, because you're a girl, because you should be like this as a female, why don't you put on this tank top? Why don't you wear makeup? And the offering of you're not essentially good enough in the way that you are. You have to be different. You need to be able to conform because this is the way that people will accept you, like you, love you. And so in those moments, I was like, well, okay, if this is what is we're supposed to be doing, then I guess this is what we're supposed to be doing. So, you know, I put the tank top on, the dress on, the makeup on. I, I'd adopt whatever it was that they were talking about. Only, of course, to realize that in some moments it felt incredibly uncomfortable. Like I'm wearing this dress, figuratively and literally, I'm wearing this dress and it's so uncomfortable. I could feel it like itching my skin. It's restricting to my body. And it's almost like the visualization of hives coming out on your skin and you can't get rid of it fast enough. But then the internal narrative of if you take this off, then you won't get the things that they say are really important, like acceptance and belonging and love. So you wear it for a while. These people who are giving you these prescribed appearances or things to do, emotions to feel and not feel, words to say, words to to not, behaviors to, you know, hide or to be proud of. These people have obviously 
had this conditioning done to them. So it's about this cycle of a shame type of cycle or whatever it might be. But then it's also a question of this is how I perceive you. This is how I find you acceptable to me. So this is how I want you to show up. This is what I would aspire you to be like. This is what I want you to address like. This is how you would fit in with me and my group. Or, mm-hmm. or this is how you fit into our team. Or this is our company. This is our purpose. And you know, this is what you need to be also on board with or aligned or whatever word you want to use to uh, mm-hmm. give it more credence. I think all of these things are a first point to acknowledge and then you went on to talk about the actual physicalness of, of, of wearing, say, a dress, the uncomfortable things that you felt on your skin and then also in your side, in your body, but then also in your mind. And I guess these things happen in our formative years. They're called formative years because we don't really know anything else before that. Mm. And so we accept, especially when they come from you know parents or teachers or figures of uh, perceived authority or trust, you don't even think about them. I know that when you're recalling this story, you have all the time to add into it and add further depth to each thing. But at the time, you probably thought, okay, I will wear this dress. And then only after you did it, you probably thought, I don't really like this, or I prefer this. And over time, you kind of develop that sense of self that made you stronger enough to stand up to the people who you care most about, which makes it more difficult if it's just a stranger in the street saying, or look at that dodgy haircut or uh, weird trousers or whatever it might be. And you can just laugh it off or maybe even just feel sorry for for them, for whatever it is that's causing them to have that reaction and, and push that forward onto you. But then in terms of the shame cycle, I love the way you talk about the, the idea of it being layered onto you and the, the literalness of the clothes and the metaphysicalness of it, these layers added to you that become you through none of your own uh, endeavors like you haven't tried to be this but they kind of become who you are because you also want to fit in with society you're developing your ego self at the same time these formative years and during those periods it is important to test those social boundaries and to also reinforce your position in those groups those cliques or in the family circle whatever it might be so there are lots of conflicting things here you've got your I don't want to wear this dress or makeup, then I want to be part of this group. And then you're, I could wear something completely different and start my own group. Like all of these things are happening. And that maybe what I touched on there could lead us through into the pride bit, which is perhaps the other flip side to this coin here. We're talking about pride and shame. And there was a quote that I saw, uh, it's a William Blake quote, and it just literally says, shame is pride's cloak. And it made me sort of think, oh, it reminded me of this topic you'd started it reminded me of how shame can be debilitating, but then also you could be proud of something which turned into shame, and then maybe it could also revert back into something that maybe, oh, perhaps I'm, someone else is proud of you for doing that because they're coming at from a different angle. So all of these kind of things are constantly changing how you're perceiving a simple action or a simple item of clothing that you're wearing or something like that. And, and being able to comprehend both these things and then not allow ourselves to be dragged down by the too much attachment to either of those things, whether it's pride or shame, that are all part of what it means to be a human being, but also things that some people will be proud of you for, for living your true self, your authentic thing. Or I've got a friend who's getting very 
passionate and, and um, fundamentalist almost about all the negative conspiracy government theories and things that are flying around about what's happening. He actually went to a march this last week. He's actually taking action from it, not just talking about it. And it's great to see him do all these things and have this growth. Then he also like oh, the thing that he's actually talking about is maybe a little bit too extreme or he's taking it too far and I'm just like oh I was conflicted because I went to see him and I thought this feels like a bit of an uncomfortable energy environment here he was there with a few other people who've been on the march and there's me who kind of believe some of the same stories but was I don't really feel compelled to go on his march there was a bit of pride for him for following his his heart and for doing that and, and his reasons for you know I want to be able to look my kids in the eye later and say well I, I stood up and did something for it and you know bravo we can all applaud that sort of endeavor but then there's the case of, well, or oh, is it shame? Like, is he, what's he really doing? Is he doing this because he wants to prove everyone that he's right? He was the one that was right all along, or is he trying to play that off by saying, oh, I'm doing it for my kids? And really, does he just want to be vindicated and show that he was clever on everyone else and he saw the scams and he called out the, the, the conspiracies or whatever it might be? So it was a uncomfortable sort of half an hour or so, and I was quite glad to get out of here, but I was also conflicted in terms of he was doing what he believes in like he should be tiptoeing around the the fine balance of when pride is is helpful and when shame is helpful and vice versa I don't know if you want to take that whether there's a way you see the difference there or yeah I think that you're alluding to every element that we're talking about has the potential to be something that is helpful helpful to ourselves helpful to other people helpful to our society. Shame has an opportunity to be something that can be helpful. So if I commit an act that is morally wrong, based on my culture, my society, and the rules within which I live, shame can be helpful as an emotional experience because it teaches us like, ooh, that's a no-no. And that can be a lesson for us. That behavior, that's a no-no. Don't do that again. So that's when it's helpful. Shame, however, unhelpfully is when it's used to tell us we are wrong. Like you are wrong as a person in the way that you are, in who you are, in how you are, as opposed to outlining that behavior, not good. There's a very big difference when we say you're not good. And so that's when anything like shame or pride can tip over this invisible boundary of that was a helpful use of that emotion, a helpful use of that entity or thing that it is versus an unhelpful one. Because I do often think of pride as well can be used to call people conceited. Like you're too proud of yourself. Don't let your head get too big. And that's when we see pride has a tipping point. Do all emotions have this element of a tipping point where they can be helpful for us or they can be hurtful to us. And, and I think that there's a possibility for us to describe all of that. Mm. The difference is, or maybe the distinction is for each one of us, that tipping point is going to be different. So when I'm experiencing shame because of how I see the world and experience the world through my own lens, my tipping point for how much of that I can tolerate to being helpful to when it becomes a hindrance is different than your tipping point is different than someone else's tipping point and learning to respect that people have different tipping points 
isn't something we can just guess on. Like, so this is what, how much I can tolerate when it comes to pride and shame. And so I'm assuming everyone else can tolerate the same amount. And so I behave in a way that's in alignment with that. And then find out that someone cannot or does not manage shame or pride in the same way that I do. And now I've destroyed bits and pieces of our relationship which means then we have to do some of that repair, right? That honest repair in our relationships or even the honest repair in ourselves. For myself personally, discovering that it was much easier for me to notice when I had tipped over the line and been like, I don't want to wear that article of clothing that you've been assigning me anymore. I don't want to wear it. I'm done wearing it and choosing that I can take this off. I don't have to do or be this anymore. There were certain elements when the risk was high. So for example, it may seem a little bit like it's just hair. Cause that's what I tell myself. It's just hair. So when I was younger, hair was a big deal as a, a female that it was long. I was the only blonde one in my family at the time. So it needed to be like blonde, curly, long, look in a certain way, be done this, that, and the other thing. And I was very tomboyish. So I love to go and play. So for me, hair was more of a nuisance than anything else. Cause it always got in my way. So I'd always want it in a ponytail or I would always want it short. And my mom was like, hell no, that's not going to happen. So for a long time, I just wore my hair. Like she needed it to be worn. And sometimes it was this very complimentary piece where people would give lots of compliments on it and compliments feel good. They help with your self-esteem. So I kept it in that style for quite a while. When I ended up getting the scissors and cutting it, there were also definite comments of like, oh, that you look like a little boy and that's not, and that made me feel like, oh, that doesn't feel so good either. Maybe it is better to have my hair long because now I have to deal with those kinds of negative comments and I don't like that. There was a certain amount of self-esteem and confidence that needed to grow before I was able to put down that shame article and say, no, no more with the hair. I'm good. It doesn't matter what you say. And that part of the self inner work was necessary, I think, to be able to stand up like your friend is standing up for something he believes in. And I think that part of being able to battle against external shame or shamers is the level of inner confidence that you are able to cultivate so that what people say just kind of bounces off you like armor in a good way Hmm. yeah true I mean in that kind of more developed adult experience that we're talking about my friend is one thing but for you being in that formative years I think it's really important that you you are able to push that bubble and the only way to kind of experience where that limit is for you is to do what they said to the limit where the dress where the makeup where the hair and you pushed as far as you could to that side and you're like no I can exist here but no further and then you were the opposite and change your appearance and hair and everything like that so you're pushing to the other side of it and experience their reaction to that and you kind of found that you're pushing the boundaries and then you're having to come back into kind of a space and the more space you create in that middle for movement allows for more future growth, but also more personal acceptance. You're like, I can be over here with this group of people and be happy, or I can be maybe a bit more over here to the right. And this is maybe more what I'm doing and having that emotional awareness, self-awareness, you're able to best represent yourself in that moment that is going to be 
good for you, but also good for the other people. So when we talk about interpersonal relationships, you're having to balance your own personal preference at the same time, having to acknowledge everyone else in your group and your team and being able to sort of hold space with them while still being true to yourself and finding a balance there. When you experience shame for yourself as a personal experience, like, like you said, I feel bad, I've gone over the line, I've done something that's inappropriate. You feel that shame and that's a really vital, important learning development tool. But when you have shame put onto you, like that's the negative effect of it and the destructive nature of it. And, and sometimes, well, not sometimes, typically those negative experiences seem to just weigh much heavier on the mind, stay more prevalent yes. than those positive things. So those little growth moments that you might have seem to quickly diminish compared to all those other negative issues. It's ironic that it's that time when you're finding out who your true self might be, but at the same time you're having to hide all of that stuff and, and, and or maybe just show it as small muted mm. versions of what you really are to help you to kind of just get through that turbulent phase of your growth. But all of it is giving you experiences positive and negative that you can then draw back on into that future point. So when you get to a more difficult phase, you've hopefully gone through all that transformation work from, you know, child to adult. And then as you increase your emotional intelligence or your awareness or mindfulness or whatever it might be, you can then dip back into all these stories in a, in, in a safe space that you kind of allow that role, that label, that identity to not define you anymore. And you can let go of it, as I always say, and not being attached to it, but also see it like, you know, we have a terrible trauma. I obviously talked about before and losing our first daughter at the time, it was a hugely destructive, numbing, angry, all the negative kind of things that came from it. But through time and through doing that inner work, you were able to go back and look at even the, the darkest, very, you can't think of anything much worse than what we experience. But all these little things that you've done during that growth phase, kind of creating these data points so that once you develop that heightened awareness and consciousness, you could perhaps look back into those periods and then break free from some of these limiting things, these assumptions, whatever it might be that's holding you back. You need to be prepared to look back or deeper or within whatever you want to, however you want to frame it. And I think that these important things like shame and pride are all good learning points and everything positive or negative is there to teach you something. It's a learning stepping stone. It's not a case of, well, oh, that was really bad or that was really good. And being able to see everything in that different lens allows you to kind of not be curtailed or diminished by any of these emotions. This idea that you know, we're always either in a contraction or an expansion phase, mm -hmm. uh, whether we are consciously aware of it or not. We can always put on those layers of shame, or whatever it is, and always take them off. Yeah, I love this expansion, contraction to me, for me. I, I use that phrase quite a bit in being able to look back at life's moments and uh, let go of the backpack, so to speak, let go of caring that this happened to me and I'm the victim because I'm the victim and I was victimized are different ways of looking at an experience to be able to step free of this happened to me and asking our questions, if this was happening for me, 
what's the lesson I'm supposed to be learning about me, who I am, how I am in the world, what's important to me, what my values are. And being able to step into that space helps us to break that cycle of then being someone who shames other people or shames ourselves. So one of the things that I encourage in the emotional intelligence space is getting connected with the physical expressions of when we feel well versus when we feel unwell. And each person will describe those a little bit differently. It's kind of why I like to use those words. They're a little nondescript so that you can fill in the emotion words that make sense for you. So when you feel well, oftentimes in those wellness feelings, our pace is a bit slower. We're giving ourselves time between stimulus and our response. When we feel well, we tend not to do knee-jerk reactions. We tend not to have pinhole thinking. We tend to be a little bit more expansive. And in expansion, you so eloquently put, we have such a bigger circle that we can see all of the different options. However, when we're in the space of unwellness, we tend to be a little bit more pinhole in our view of thinking. We tend to be knee-jerk in our reactions. Our pace is a lot faster So then opportunities, options, thinking gets really, really small. So that emotional self-awareness piece that you were talking about is critical to being able to use impulse control. Impulse control is creating the time or the space between the stimulus and our response to it so that we can challenge what's happening in the pinhole view, whether we're challenging our thinking and realigning with our values we're challenging someone else's behaviors and actions, and we're asserting a boundary. In time, there's so many more options for us to be able to look at and use that can be the difference, the game changer to breaking that cycle of shame. Yeah, exactly. I think we all have a kind of preconception about, well, shame is negative. Pride is it's okay to a point, but And I think what we do in the work we do and and the personal development that's available to everyone is it starts with breaking down all of those, those preconceptions about everything. You you just start thinking about, well, what is my understanding of what this word means? Or what have I been told that this means to me and for me and through me? And I think that these are perfect examples of other people's experiences being filtered through that pinhole lens onto us and that laser light thing is being burnt into us and then we are perpetuating that cycle taking on those things and then when we become parents or leaders there is all of that stuff that's just there waiting in the in the bank to be passed forward to be reiterated and repeated And it's really our ability to go beyond that instinctive condition programming and look beyond it. There's a totally different way of doing this that I could play the situation. I think it's important for us to not shy away from doing something because we're worried about what that negative effect will happen. I think it's important to indulge whoever it is we're working with, with giving them the belief that they can distill whatever we're sharing with them into what it will be for them moving forward. 
not going, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Let's just give it, this is the answer. Just accept it, repeat it, keep going. This is the command and control hierarchy management style. We don't trust them enough to have their own, maybe it's not even trust, perhaps we, we're scared yeah. that they might have their own idea of it and what that means to us in our position of power, but also what it says about us and our misrepresentation or misunderstanding of, of what was really there. And we were so forthright and, and positive about this was the way. And actually there was this bit over here on the other side, which was much better, much faster, much whatever it might be, but we had our blinkers on, you know, giving us that freedom to look beyond the manual and, and exploring that but the best thing to do that is is doing that in community in a funny group of people and they don't need to be a work they can be associated from whatever unifying factor and then allowing that space to percolate allowing it the space to grow rather than just stamping out or well, that doesn't fit with my fire you just extinguish it and that, that's a great analogy of in breaking the cycle, if we envision the fire and everyone brings their torch, allowing people to contribute their torch to the warmth and the glow and the intensity of that flame and doing everything possible you need to do to avoid snuffing out someone else's fire. Yes, each time you add your torch, you're kind of letting go of your individual, <clears throat> this is me, this is my idea, but by introducing it to the group thing, you're actually giving it more, more meaning. And we can individually create something that we think is fabulous, but actually when we share it with other people and allow their innate brilliance to add a little bit to extra spark, it turns that small smoldering fire into, you know, mm-hmm. a campfire or a bonfire or whatever it might be. And, you know, it's from that, enriched space that new sparks will fly off and you know <laughs> might not be very good for health and safety but you're starting oh. different fires all over the place and each one will will yes. get more fuel and, and get um <clears throat> will start to illuminate different places within the business or whatever it might be and and each one is then encourages the next person to bring their torch up next week and and don't be too proud about your thing but also don't be ashamed of what you're bringing because both of them have a place and and only in you know collaboration can the real gift that each one is bringing really be embodied in the sort of collective bonfire thanks for listening to this episode of tnt please share subscribe rate and review and when you're ready for your personal evolution check out reese at trueselfcoaching.com and for your emotional intelligence revolution check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.